Welcome to Word of Truth. We're continuing where we left off. This is Doug Presley, and it is 2-28-2021. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. At this time, we have the thought of the week uh, coming from Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have another foundational verse to consider. This verse takes us right back to the bad news. For all have sinned. How is it that all have sinned? When this verse was written, I was not yet born. And this verse, is this verse prophetic? Well, the reason this verse is true is because, is because of Adam and results of sin in the garden. Because of Adam, I am born spiritually dead, condemned with a sinful nature, Romans 5, verses 17 through 19. Because of this, I will most certainly, because of this, I will most certainly sin since I was born with a nature that is sinful. Righteousness, righteousness is not an option for me in this state of my own, Romans 3, chapter 10. How did I get into the world? Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned, Romans 5, chapter 12. This verse tells the story perfectly. Adam introduced sin and the penalty of sin into the world when he chose to sin. This is how we become sinners. It is, it was in this way that we received the penalty for Adam's sin. The verse follows with, because all sinned and received, all received the penalty and the result of Adam, the results of Adam. It does not matter how much we do not agree with the way this works. We cannot change it, and we are the ones who are lost. What matters most is this is the way God sees it. If you understand, if you are trying to understand sin and righteousness in man, you must understand it is according to the bad news from Adam. In this state, we do not meet the standards of God or the glory of God. We must remember that Jesus Christ did meet this perfect standard and the glory of God. Thank God we have a Savior in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to also add, this is uh, also written from our pastor, uh, but I, want this, I think it's appropriate. Uh, salvation, this is what it is not. Uh, salvation is not walking in an aisle, raising your hand, weeping tears at the altar, or jumping through some psychological hoop. It is not saying the sinner's prayer or joining a church. It is not changing your behavior, becoming moral, or feeling sorry for your sins, or giving up sins. It is certainly not inviting Christ into your heart 
or inviting Christ into your life. It is not being baptized, speaking in tongues, or becoming emotional. Salvation is the work of God. At this time, I want to turn the service over to Dwight for prayer. Thank you very much, Brad. And I'll be praying for the church, um, our families, extended families. Um, are there any special requests before I start? Yes, um, just continue to pray for Mike. Uh, not only is, uh, you know, as he going through, they're going through grief at this moment, but we're also planning for a memorial. So praying for that God would lead us to do that accurately. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Let us bow our heads before God. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful privilege that we have to come together and search the deep things of your spirit. For this, your spirit knows all of these things, and we have freely been given the spirit so that we may know your eternal plans and how we fit in. Let us strive to understand and rely on the word of God and not the opinions of man. I want to pray for our church that we can continue in this um, in this endeavor that we've that has continued for decades. What a tremendous privilege this is, and, and especially in today's society that is coming up with all kinds of things to believe in and, and reasons not to believe in your word. Um, give us the strength and the courage to continue to seek you in everything that we encounter. I pray also for the church worldwide, that, um, that all of the church has the same word and that your words are consistent, and may we all be eager to grow in the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one God, one baptism, and one sacrifice given for all. I pray for those who are experiencing uh, sickness or health challenges. Um, may you offer, I ask that you would give them comfort and healing, as a matter of fact. Um, we pray for those who would have, to, everybody has more opportunity to, um, to look into the, the eternal things that you have given us. And help us to um, act with a sense of urgency that we can always think that we can put this off until tomorrow, next week, or the next month, next year. Um, but we never know what is going to happen to anybody at any given time. So let us use our time wisely. And uh, I want to also especially pray for Mike and his wife as they continue to grieve over the loss of their son. And... Um, I pray that you would bless the uh, memorial plan that they have uh, developing and that you would offer them the comfort um, with which we've been comforted. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so we are uh, going to continue, but before we do, just to note by way of announcement, we are... The memorial is scheduled for Saturday. That is this Saturday coming up at 1 p.m. And it's going to be a Zoom call. I will share the link. So we will, uh, if you want to attend, you'll be able to. 
So we're going to continue where we left off last week. Uh, we're in the book of John, chapter 15, verses 24 and 25. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. So you should have notes, and in your notes, this world has never seen anything like Jesus. He was in the world, and the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That's John 1.10. Until we understand the true meaning of miracles, signs, and wonders, we will simply be wowed by the performance just as the multitudes that witnessed the miraculous power demonstrated through Jesus, many were not moved beyond their traditional norms and standards. Like Herod, who only saw Jesus as an entertainer, quote, from what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign or some, of some sort. That's Luke 23, 8. Jesus was special and the world was not worthy of him. Miracle after miracle, day and night performed for crowds, and still, quote, they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It's in Luke twenty three twenty one. While the world rejected him, some of us can see the beauty of our Lord. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. That's 1 Corinthians one twenty-eight. So this, uh, these couple verses uh, seems aggressive. We got a lot of notes, a lot of scriptures to cover. So uh, I will be moving fast. The good thing is we do have notes and we are recording this. So if you want to go back and look at something, this is, we have it available. So let's get dig in. The first thought is if I had not done among them the works no one else did. So the first thought is what Jesus, uh, what did Jesus do among them that he felt was so convincing? Now this is Jesus' thought. He, he says, I did works among them that no one else did. Right in their face. Uh, he felt that what he did was sufficient. For them to understand who he was. And uh, the first three things that I'd like to show what Jesus did. Now, of course, <coughs> excuse me, I can't compete with what John said. John says if, uh, if we were going to write down everything that Jesus did, there would not be enough books to contain all of the things that they saw in those three and a half years. But we're going to just, I picked out a few things to just show the magnitude of what Jesus did when he says, I have, if I had not done among them works that no one else did. Let's see what he means by that. So the first point is multiple signs and wonders, and we're going to turn to John chapter 6 for that. John chapter 6, and get my bearings here. 
and we'll we'll look at verses 1 through 15. So we'll go fast. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to a far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So notice, <clears throat> this is not something new. These people were, uh, for, this crowd was formed because they saw signs and wonders and miracles. Now they're getting ready to see another one. But the reason why they're assembled in the first place is because Jesus had been doing signs, wonders, and miracles. These were not isolated incidents where all of a sudden he performed a miracle and then six months later he performed another one and then a couple months later and no this was frequent this is what you don't really get when you see a lot of these jesus movies that are out there how how are they going to portray that it really the volume of what he did is not really something that um, we can capture and, and this here, what we're seeing is literally just spoken of, yeah, but the, this crowd was assembled because they saw all these things he was doing, healing the sick. So let's keep going. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down with his disciples. Um, the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread? for these people to eat. He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in his mind what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do already. He was just teaching the disciples. This was an object lesson for them. Philip's answer, right? Philip answered him, verse 7. It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And now listen, just have a bite. And he says a half of the year's wages. In other words, the crowd is so big, how are we going to feed them? There's no way. There's, there's absolutely no way we can come up with. It would take a lot of money. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far will they go among so many? So this is Andrew thinking, okay, we do have some food here. And what is it? It's five small barley loaves, just bread loaves made of barley, and uh, two small fish. That's all. And so really, if you think about what it, what is Andrew saying here? Andrew's saying, yeah, well, this is what we do have. There's no way. Uh, this will go among so many. And he's facetiously, in my opinion, asking the question to Jesus. How, how can the, there's no way that this is all we have. There's, we're, this is not going to happen. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So just imagine, they didn't say how many women were there. They just said about 5,000 men. So you can imagine there were women there too. So I, I can't tell you what the number would be, but it was certainly more than 5,000 people. Think about how many 5,000 people is. We're not supposed to be uh, in crowds at the 
at the moment because of this pandemic we're in. You know, social distancing and stay away from crowds, but 5,000 people. Just imagine that. So we're going to keep going here. So um, then, then it continues. Uh, let's see, where are we? Verse, they sat down. Verse 11, Jesus took, then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So he multiplied the fish. He multiplied the, the barley. Verse 12, when they, had, when, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So imagine this was a miracle, first of all, right before their eyes. Jesus multiplied. I mean, he, he only had a little bit of fish, and all of a sudden, Everybody had enough to eat. So not just that everybody have one bite, each one have a bite, like as Philip was joking. But no, everybody had enough. They were full. They ate enough to the point where, you know how you eat enough and you sit back, finally loosen your belt a little bit. Okay, I'm comfortable now. So... Verse 13, now this last part was for the disciples who were really unbelieving. Verse 13, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing what they had intended to uh, to come and to make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So that's the story of a miracle, a fantastic miracle. And the reason for the miracle is because people saw that, you know, Jesus was healing people, and this is what drew them. Then all of a sudden, they were hungry, they sat down, and look, when, when they finished, how many, uh, what was left over? There was... Gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets, one for each of the disciples' unbelief. Disciples didn't, it was for them, actually. So we can't, and it was a miracle. It was something that could not have happened reasonably, given human capabilities. But we can't really look at the disciples and say, man, these people are dumb. You know why? Because... They're operating on the knowledge of what can and cannot be according to their reasoning and their capabilities, not according to who Jesus is. So I like when he was walking on the water, uh, they said, what manner of man is this that he can walk on water? But th this is the whole thought. The 12 baskets were for their understanding and their faith. Remember, these are the ones who are going to become the foundation for the church. So that's the first thing. There were multiple signs and wonders. I mean, imagine that. Him multiply, in their presence, multiplying the fishes and loaves. And, of course, did the people get it? No. You know what they came back for the next day? More food. <laughs> this is typical of how it is today. They came back and they wanted more Food. They didn't care about, oh, is this Messiah? You know, let's follow up on that. Let's, 
let's, let's investigate whether this person is, in fact, the Christ, son of the living God. No, their thought was, can we get some more burgers? They wanted more food. So that was the thought. Uh, point number two in our notes, his scope of he in the healing ministry. And there's a couple verses about him healing. Let's just talk about it. Matthew chapter 4. Let's go there. And so we're talking about, remember, Jesus said he had done, if I had not done among them the works no one else did. That's why we're going here in the first place. Matthew chapter 4, 23 through 25. So Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Notice this healing every disease and sickness. And there were no exceptions to this. And he, he didn't just go in one spot. He was only in Bethlehem. No, he was teaching throughout Galilee. Galilee is a region. There are many provinces in Galilee. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all that were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, having seizures, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And look at this, this, this these last four words, and he healed them, he healed them. I mean, just imagine that. All of these diseases, and he healed them. This is not fake healing like what goes on today, where people stand up and they say, well, you know, I've been having this headache every day, and then all of a sudden they don't have a headache. We're talking diseases, maladies that these people had. Not just, I don't see one place where it says, and they had a severe headache or something. These were diseases that we could, if there were hospitals, that they would empty out the whole hospital and they would come out and, and Jesus would heal everybody. Imagine that. So large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. Notice all these places that you're talking about. This is not isolated. This is public. This is... I mean, there's no way that anybody could construe anything. These people didn't care. They were getting healed. Then there's Luke 4, 40. Let's look at Luke 4, 40. There's a couple in Luke I want to turn to. And again, um, 4, 40 is, says, At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each of them, he healed them. So this is part of it. You could keep going. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. So notice, again, more evidence of him healing. And then there's just uh, Luke, since we're already in Luke, let's look at really quick 6, 17 through 19. He went down with them and stood at a level place. A large crowd of his disciples uh, was there. 
and uh, a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and, and, and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled with impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him. Look at this. Because power was coming from him and healing them all. Nothing like this has ever happened in history, human history. Nothing. What can be compared to these events? What, what could have happened here that we could say, oh, this is like such and such? Nothing. If you read the scope of it, and then there's lots of all other isolated incidents and uh, that we have to say. If we're not sure, if we were sure, questioning about who Jesus was, it was sure that God was with him. And Nicodemus said it best. We know that God is with you because no one can do the signs that you are doing unless God is with him. That's in John 3. So there's another thought here, point number three. His teaching was like no other. So since we're already in Luke, uh, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Let's read that really quick. Luke 2, 46 and 47. Um, and this is when Jesus was a little boy. Uh, he was 12. It's, and and he, they went up to Jerusalem for uh, the festival. And as their custom was. And verse 40. I'm just going to skip to it. Right? 46. After three days they found him. Because they were looking for him. It, it was misplaced. They couldn't find him. So what happened? After three days of looking for him, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So even at 12 years, listen, he's just a boy. And he was already contending and probably teaching the teachers at this point, at 12 years of age, this man, this, this boy, this boy was phenomenal when it comes to his understanding. So he was, not, he was like no other, if you think about it. And then John 7, 46 says, let's go to John 7. And this is interesting, even uh, the guards here. So 746 says, uh, this is because they sent uh, guards to, to arrest him. These were temple guards. But when the, I'm going to start at 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? In other words, we wanted you to go pick this guy up. You know, they were supposed to arrest him. But this is their answer. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. So these were people who went there to arrest him. They were so enamored by the things he was saying. He was resonating with people. So it wasn't just the fact that he was here. It was, it was the fact that 
he, he taught like no one else taught. So this is what the Pharisees, you mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. And this is what they say, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? In other words, these, this mob, they know nothing. We can't count them as understanding. So anyway, th these are some of the things that Jesus are saying about if I had not done among them the works no one else did. That's, that's what he did. He went around day in, every day, healing the sick, casting out devils, opening the eyes of the blind, healing those who were paralyzed from birth. Uh, we could go on. Uh, people who had leprosy. And people, he even raised people who were dead. It had been, Lazarus had been dead four days. And there were other examples of people who were raised. And, and th these are the works that he did every day. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, he did it once in a while. He healed, and people came from all over the place just to have Jesus or, or to fall under his shadow or, or just to be in his presence knowing that they would be healed. So that is what he did. Point number two, let's go on in our notes. Oh, actually, our, did we? No, we missed a couple. So point B in our notes, 1B, there was no question about his ministry fulfilling the prophecies of what was said of him in the Old Testament. Now, there are some prophecies here that you could consider. I would ask that you would read Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 18 and 35, 4 and 6, because they talk about some of the things that we just said about what the Messiah would do when he came. So it was very clear, and, and I'll raise another one, and this is in Matthew 11, where uh, John the Baptist sent disciples to Jesus because he was in jail. He was like, well, if I'm in jail, maybe I, I picked the wrong horse here. Maybe Jesus isn't the one. I, I mean, I believe he's the one, but I, the circumstances of, of me being in jail, I didn't think this would be. So John is questioning. So he... He sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? So what does Jesus, he didn't say, hey, tell John I'm the one. He knows better. No, you know what he says? He says, tell John I'm doing the very things that the Old Testament said I would do. Healing the sick, raising the dead are raised. He said, uh, blind people are, being, are receiving their sight, on and on. He said, John, I'm doing the work. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, so that's, so it's not John, trust whatever I say. John, trust that God sent me according to the revelation that you know. And that, that is the evidence. So as you can read some of those scriptures as you go. Point number C, no one will be able to escape guilt. We will read this one. This is in Hebrews chapter and this is chapter 2, and we're going to read 1 through 4. Now, just to note, the reason why we're reading this is because Jesus did these miraculous signs, wonders. He established who he was through these things beyond any doubt. And so this is why we're looking at this. Hebrews 2.1, he says, We must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, 
and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord. So here it is. Look at this. It was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So he's talking, this is contemporary because the salvation wasn't first announced by the Lord. I mean, this is salvation that has been happening since Adam fell. But the fact that Jesus is the one who comes to secure that salvation that was talked about since the foundation of the world, He's the one who confirms it. He's the one who paid for the sins. And how do people know that? Well, uh, it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, this continued because God had to continue to lead which way he was di directing people by uh, the apostles and the, the establishment of the church. So the apostles did signs, wonders, and miracles. In fact, if Paul's shadow uh, fell on somebody, they could be healed. It wasn't Peter's shadow, but even still, the, the, the disciples who later became the apostles for the church, were also commissioned to be able to do these signs, wonders, and miracles, which were to confirm the message that God is with us in this way. So Hebrews, these are important passages for us to understand the purpose for signs, wonders, and miracles. It's not just so that we could sit back and say, Wow, that happened. That was amazing. I'm impressed. Can you do another one? Like Herod, right? Thinking, oh, this man, we heard a lot about you. Can you can you do some tricks for us? No, that's not the point of signs, wonders, and miracles. So we need to understand that that is to demonstrate, to confirm this so great salvation that we have. And And if we miss that, then we'll forever be looking at signs, wonders, and miracles just to, for the pure. It's like looking, going to a show uh, in Las Vegas where there are magicians and they do these fantastic things that are, you know, wow, how did they do that? I don't know how they did it. Wow, this must be magic. And everybody's wowed. That's not the purpose of signs, wonders, and miracles in the Bible. We're continuing. Now we're at point number two. So they would not be guilty of sin. <clears throat> so let's, let's get into this. All who refuse to believe in Christ will be held responsible. That's John 3.18. So, so we, we, we covered this last week, really. But I'll, I'll go ahead and state it. But as we have already stated, these religious leaders have special responsibility due to their position over the nation. See, so they were the caretakers, these religious leaders. The, they were responsible for the direction of the nation. For them to have seen all that they saw and still to reject Christ, well, it, it, 
they were going to have to be held responsible for that. Now, it will be a temporal judgment. And as we talked about what happened with the destruction of Jerusalem and uh, Titus and the, uh, you know, the siege on Jerusalem, it was horrible, which happened in A.D. 70. So in John eleven forty five through fifty three, <clears throat> ironically, this is what this is what they concluded. I'll, I'll read it for you, John eleven forty five. So this is after Jesus resuscitates Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was dead for four days. Jesus brought him back to life. Verse 45, this is the conclusion. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. This is perfect. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called the meeting of the Sanhedrin. This is the ruling body of, um, of the Jews. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And what will be the result? And the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Huh. So guess what? The Romans did come and take away both the temple and the nation. They destroyed the temple, remember? So ironically, what they are trying to protect is what they actually lost. The very thing they were trying to protect is what they lost. So then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. So in their minds, for everyone believing in Christ, well, that would be bad because, you know, the Romans will see this as, as some sort of insurrection and and they will take away the agreement that we have with them and our nation. But that's what happened after they crucified Christ anyway. So they couldn't stop the plan of God. And this is how John saw it in verse 51. He did not say this on his own, but as the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation but not in the way that God the Father wanted Jesus to die, in the way that they thought they could hold on to power. And even if this man is innocent, even if he's doing all these miraculous signs and wonders, we're going to have to kill him. And he's going to have to die. Not because for the nation, you know, but for the nation and for them to hold power is what they were saying. So John looked at that as a play and used it as sort of a metaphor for what happened. So, what did they say as a result of this? They said they're going to have to kill Jesus. Verse 53, So from that day, they looked, they plotted to take his life. So this is uh, the conclusion that the ruling body of Jerusalem, the highest court in the land, right, concluded that they are going to have to kill him. And here's an innocent man, trumped up charges, they had to find charges to, to prove that he was guilty. And it turns out, they're the ones who are guilty. And what happens? Because of their 
disobedience, the nation will be judged severely in A.D. 70. So, ironically, John 11, 50, 45 through 53, take some time to read through the whole story. Point B, Jesus demonstrated who he was, now look at this, beyond a reasonable doubt. Not just reasonably, but beyond that. We can, say, we can conclude, listen, if there was a person here in New Jersey, in Plainfield, who was doing what Jesus did, people from other states would be coming to be healed and, and to see this, this phenomenon. I mean, it, it would be, the, people all over the United States would hear about it, and they would be trying to make their way here. This was beyond a reasonable doubt. The only other thought would be that they could have concluded is, just like it says here, they hated me without reason. This is verse 25, which we'll get to later, that thought. Without reason. And because it was beyond a reasonable doubt, so they couldn't, couldn't condemn him using reason and logic. They had to condemn him because they didn't have a reason. And we know what that reason was. It was motivated by Satan. Point C, when you consider the evidence presented by these reliable witnesses, there is no revelation more documented or verified. John 20, 31 says, these things are written. In other words, John telling you about all this stuff so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by believing you that you might have life in his name. That's John 20, 31. And then obviously Acts 16, 31, which says Paul and Silas telling the jailer who asked, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So moving forward, and we're moving point three as it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. Some scripture at this point to help us understand because their rejection wasn't just, oh, they don't believe in Christ so they won't have eternal life. Their rejection as leaders of the Jewish nation was the fall of the Jewish nation. So this is what reasoning has to do with. Uh, point a is come now. It's a scripture in Isaiah 118. Come now and let us reason together. So God is, he's trying to get at what is logically reasonable for us to conclude. So for, for us to understand what salvation is, God is showing us what is reasonable. Come now, let us reason together saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's white as wool. Isaiah one eighteen. So when you think about reasoning together, that is where God, the Holy Spirit, meets us in our spiritual death. He comes to us in our spiritual death. And he reasons with us about the gospel. He helps us understand the logic and the thinking that God has. And then 
we have a choice to make, whether we will or will not believe. Well, these not only who were contemporaries of Jesus Christ, these religious leaders had all of that. They had God, the Holy Spirit, tugging at their hearts. They saw the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the teaching, and they refused, even then. And one of the reasons they gave was, well, you see, because if we let him go on like this, everybody will believe in him. But they figured, here's a way we can keep our power. We may have to sacrifice an innocent man to do it, but at least we will keep our power and our agreement with the Romans. Yeah, that's what happened. But God is trying to reason with them. He's trying to reason with us. Point B, what they have seen, they cannot unsee. This is a term that is used today. So in John chapter 9, it quote, But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. They saw it. There was, listen, there was no hiding what Jesus did. It was public. Not only was it public, they sent spies. They sent people to investigate. Uh, what, what is this man teaching? What, what is he saying? Arrest him. They knew they had plants. Uh, inside. Remember, Judas was one of the disciples who betrayed Christ to them. They were the ones who paid the 30 pieces of silver. So this is not something that was done in secret. They hated him. Point number C, as it is, they hated me, both me and my father. Point number C, hating Jesus was the same as hating the father. But it is not just hating the father. And it's, we can talk about hating a person, yeah, but it's hating the Father's eternal purpose. That's what it says in Ephesians 3.11, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the eternal purpose is, is what the Father is talking about, is about. It's not just, well, I hate the Father. If I hate Jesus, I hate the Father. Well, what does that mean? It means that you hate the Father's plan. It's like the Jews who said, we don't want Gentiles. We don't want to be in the same body as Gentiles. We don't want to, uh, you know, say that the Mosaic Law is not enforced and that salvation is free. We don't want all that. You know what? All of that is the Father's plan. And for them to reject that is to reject the Father's plan. But Jesus is saying... If you reject me, you if you hate me, you hate the Father. Well, what do you hate about the Father? You hate the Father's plan. Just wanted to marry those things together. Point D. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. Conversely, right? When that's John 13, 20b. Whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. Well, we have to say the same thing about this verse. If you accept Christ, that means you accept the Father's plan well it's not just about accepting christ it's about and it's just like john 5 24 we read that verse he who believes on him who sent me has eternal life right so it's not just about jesus it's about the father's plan because it was the father who sent christ to be the savior of the world 
So if you reject Jesus, well, then you're rejecting the Father's provision for us. That's what you're doing. That's what it's, it's literally tantamount to. Point E, there can be disastrous results from not following God. I just want to read some of this in Acts, uh, just to establish the results of their rejection. I'm going to the book of Acts. And I'm going to start reading from 5, 36 through 41. Let's go there. 5, 36 through 41. Some time ago, Thedas appeared, claiming to be somebody about... This is when they arrested uh, them, the disciples. And this is what this guy said. I just want to get the context claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all the followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He, he too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, in the present case, I advise you, Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. So this is the logic of Gamaliel, right, who was a Pharisee, very um, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, according to verse 34. And he stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside, and then that's what he told them gave those examples, and he said, listen, if this is of human origin, it's going to fail. Don't worry. Let them go. God will handle that. But then he said, verse 39, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And that was such a true statement. That Think about it. The disciples weren't there for their own will, purpose, and plan. They were there because of Jesus' purpose, will, and plan. And Jesus came to do the Father's will. So just understanding how all that works. This, this was absolutely true. So verse 41, I just want to show you, or 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in. But listen, listen to this. If his speech persuaded them, listen to what they did. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. I would have said, but wait a minute. If you're letting me free, why are you punishing me? Flogged was not some light, let me put out your hand and let me smack it. Flogged was whipped, stripped down and beaten with the cat of nine tails. That's not... Uh, something that you could treat lightly. I mean, some people died after being flogged. That's how serious it was. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So did they listen to Gamaliel? A little bit, but, but not really. Their anger was more prominent. I've had them flogged and then ordered them. Uh, so what did the apostles do? They left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. 
for the plan. Right? They, they knew, they said, well, if we have to suffer because this is part of the plan, we are accepting it joyfully. They were rejoicing. So day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So there you have it. That, that was their attitude. And uh, listen, it could not be thwarted. So that's, and then go back. So since we're in Acts, go to Acts chapter 6. We're going to read verses 8 through 13. Acts chapter 6. Eight. Now Stephen, or Stephen, whichever, however we could say it, was pronounced. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So notice what he did. He was one of those he chose, that the apostles chose because they had so much to do. So when he performed great signs, again, only God can do these things. Just to note, and what does the people? What do the people do? Opposition arose, however, um, uh, from members of the synagogue and and the freemen. It was called Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as in the province of Sicilia uh, and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen or Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave as he spoke. Remember, we talked about the fact that. Jesus spoke like no other, and so it was with Stephen. The, the wisdom that God had, the Holy Spirit had given him, was off the chart. So what could they do? Verse eleven. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, "We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God." So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before. The Sanhedrin. They produce false witnesses who testify. This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. He was not deterred by them at all. The face of innocence is what it was. So then, um, so we want to read what eventually happened after Stephen began to talk and to teach. Verse chapter seven fifty one, chapter seven fifty one through fifty seven. Let's read it quickly. Here it is. <clears throat> He eventually said of them, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed uh, those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, and 
Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he did go on to say, do not hold this sin against them. So I just wanted to share that. I thought it was important for us to note. And then, um, because we're talking about they, their hatred for the Father's plan. Notice how not only did they hate uh, the, those who carried the Father's plan, they hated God the Holy Spirit. They resisted him. They hated Jesus. They hated the Father. That adds new meaning to being on the wrong side of things. Point number four. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. There it is. What was written in their law? And I'm not going to go through all of this. There were several references. This first one in Psalm 109.3 is the most prominent, I would say, that Jesus is pointing to. And there are others, but it was clearly written in their law. Why don't I turn to Psalm 109.3? We do have some time. Psalm 109.3 And it says, With words of hatred they surrounded me. They attacked me without cause. Yeah, this this is one of them. But these are sort of messianic psalms that can be uh, seen not only to happen to David and those who were in that time, but also prophetic of what would happen to Jesus in the time in which he lived. <clears throat> so this is where Jesus quoted, they hated me without reason or without cause. So... You could take a look at those and the context that those are found in. And point B, the story of the persecuted righteous in the world, quote, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel. Notice this is the first person who died on earth to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. So this is uh, Matthew 23, 35. Jesus is quoting this to say to those religious leaders how they hated. There was a pattern of resistance. Just like Stephen, Stephen said, he says, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers, your ancestors did, so do you. And their resistance of the Holy Spirit wasn't just... Uh, a mild resistance. It resulted in violence to prophets. They killed prophets and righteous people as a result. So point number C, this hatred comes from the devil. It is not reasonable. It comes from the devil. Matthew 25, 41, the prince of this world. John 14, 30, the God of this age. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, Ephesians 2.2. 2. 
the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. That's Revelation 12, 9. We're, we're talking about the reasoning behind all of this hatred. These people are pawns in the devil's hands. Why do they do the things they do? They don't have a logical reason for it. That's, what the, that's the hatred that comes from the ruler of this world that is motivating these men to hate God's plan, his righteousness. Point number D, as we're closing, this is another quote from 1 John 5, 19. It says, we know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The evil one is Satan. So notice where we are. <laughs> We're in this world. And the whole world is under the control of Satan. So we know there's going to be persecution. There's going to be trouble, as Jesus is going to tell us shortly. In this world, you will have trouble. Especially, as we should know, we're in enemy territory. So we should know that there's going to be difficulty going forward. This is why the goal that we have is to save some that are here. It is not to change the course of this world, not to change the political landscape of this world, not to try to make, as the song says, the world a better place. It is to save some. That is the goal. And that is why we have picked that First Timothy Chapter 2, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. That's why, why we're here, full knowledge of the truth. So we're going to have to quit this week. We'll continue with this thought next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. We're, we're privileged to be on the battlefield even though uh, this is... Uh, a tough job, often, as you said, filled with danger, trouble, but no matter, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we thank you for the words that you have given us, that we can cling to, the destiny that is ours, and we pray that we will walk worthy of the calling we have received. We thank you for those who have come. We pray that we will continue to hear your word as we uh, assemble ourselves. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.